Well, I want to ask you to take your Bibles and find James chapter 1. Today we're going to be talking about how to triumph over trials. How to triumph over trials. And I want to ask you, you may want to take a pen and, and make some notes and jot some things down. My intention by the time this sermon is all said and done is to have been extremely practical with you uh, with how we can handle problems that come up in life. In fact, uh, even in, in my own family this week, we've been reminded of how sometimes the phone will ring or, or, or you'll find out or you'll hear about uh, a situation that can be challenging. Loved ones may be facing some type of a health situation or, or, or perhaps this week uh, you, went, you did go to the doctor or, or, and got some news or uh, you happen to have a neighbor who maybe is going through a trial with their job or something like that. Trials and problems come into our lives. Uh, oftentimes unannounced, unexpected. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about kind of the reality of problems and the trials of life, but also uh, how we can respond to those trials, how we can ultimately even rejoice, not because of the trials, but in the face of the trials. So that's where we're going to kind of go. Now, I want to just kind of start off with something. I, and I'll do, this, I'll do this with a little bit of risk here because I don't know if these are going to be all that funny or not. But, but I came across something. I thought I'd give it a shot here in this service. Um, and there, it's called 13 Ways You Can uh, Tell It's Going to Be a Rotten Day. All right? And uh, so I don't know if this will kind of help break the ice today or not. Uh, I, hope it won't, I hope it won't totally mess the sermon up. But anyhow, uh, isn't that a great introduction? <clears throat> well, here it is. Number one, you wake up face down on the pavement, all right? It's going to be a bad day. You wake up face down on the pavement. Number two, you call suicide prevention, and they put you on hold. They put you on hold. Um, number three, you see a 60 Minutes news team waiting for you at your office, all right? Bad day. Number four, I like this one. Your birthday cake collapses from the weight of the candles. It's going to be a bad day. All right. Number five, you turn on the news and they're showing emergency routes out of the city. It's going to be a bad day. I like number six. Listen to this one. Your twin sister forgot your birthday. She forgot your birthday, your twin sister. Um, number seven, your car horn goes off accidentally and remains stuck as you follow a group of hell's angels on the interstate. All right, it's be a bad day. Um, number eight, you come in the office and your boss tells you, don't even bother to take off your coat. Going to be a bad day. Number nine, now listen to this one. Number nine, the bird singing outside of your window is a buzzard. Is a buzzard. Is a buzzard. Number 10, you call your answering service and they tell you it's none of your business. None of your business. Number 11, your income tax refund check bounces. Bounces. I tell you what, it's getting that time of year. That one rings kind of close to home <laughs> right there. Uh, uh, number 12, you put both contact lenses into the same eyeball. And then number 13, your wife says, Good morning, Bill, but your name is George. <laughs> if, if any of those were not appropriate, just forgive me and just, just let it go, all right? Just, anyhow, I didn't know. I thought maybe we would enjoy those just to kind of break the ice. James chapter 1. Stand with me with your Bibles open. Let me read this scripture to you. James chapter 1. Number 2, verse number 2. Listen to God's word. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, 
that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 5, and if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has supposed to those who has promised, excuse me, which God has promised to those who love him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray in the next few moments as we walk through these verses that you'll help us to understand some of these facts about trials. But Lord, you'll also understand that you'll help us to understand how we can actually triumph in the face of trial. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and be seated. Well, there's a movie that came out back here at the Christmas holiday season. And by the way, if I ever reference a movie, I'm not necessarily endorsing it, just pointing something out about it in contemporary culture. And it's the movie Unbroken. And the movie Unbroken is really based off of this book. Number one New York Times bestseller uh, by Laura Hild, uh, Hillenbrand, and it's about Louis uh, 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 Zamperini, and, 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 and Louis Zamperini goes through one of the most horrific experiences of life. Now, of course, you know, he, he, had, a, he had some trying times in his childhood growing up. And really what he began to do is he really began to, to become a, a world-class athlete and runner. In fact, he would go on and run in the Olympics that took place in Nazi Germany before World War II broke out. And, uh, and he was really on track to go to the Olympics then the next time and uh, would have been on track to probably win the gold medal. But then World War II happens. And like so many men of that generation, of what uh, you know, Tom Brokaw ta- talks about as this greatest generation, and I, and I think that is so, so on point. It's amazing to see what the people of Louis' generation, and some of you perhaps uh, certainly can remember that time, maybe even, and I know uh, we don't have as many as we used to of that generation, but, but, but perhaps you are of that generation, or you, you have a, a, a brother who perhaps served overseas, or, or perhaps your father did. And, of course, the ladies also dealt with incredible trial and tribulation during World War II. But, but Louis goes into the service. And he's serving on a bomber. And this, and, this, and, and this really hit close to home for me because my grandfather, who is now around 90 years of age, he served on a bomber during that same time. And, and Louis is serving on this bomber, and, and it was on May 27, 1943. Their bomber is dispatched from Oahu, and they go out into the Pacific. 
and they're searching for another airplane that has been down, that has, that has crashed, and they're searching for survivors. But then, but then the unthinkable happens. The bomber that Louis is on, it begins to malfunction, and it crashes. Well, most of the crew is, is killed. But Louie and two of his other mates, they end up getting onto these life rafts. And it's, a, and, it's, and it's torturous to read in the book. The book goes into so much detail. It's almost like reading a journal day in and day out. And you read about what they experience. The, everything from the sun, the, the hunger, to the fact of, of the sharks brushing up against the life raft. And then just imagine, just imagine being out there in the middle of an ocean where, you know, you, you, you know, no land in sight. I've, I've only uh, been on a cruise twice, and now, now twice is, 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 is maybe twice as much as you, but, or maybe you've been on a lot of them, but, but I, I, I enjoy it. But I tell you what, the thought, the thought on some of those nights when we'll be standing out there on that beautiful cruise ship looking out on that ocean, the thought can cross your mind, and it has mine. What would it be like? What would it be like to be on a life raft out here in the middle of this great big ocean? Now, I put that on a short list of what I would consider to be some of the worst experiences you can go through in life, is to be lost at sea on a life raft. And, of course, you know, in the book, she goes on to tell Louie's story of how, how they end up being on this life raft for 47 days. And if I'm not mistaken, that is still, that still now holds the record for surviving that long at sea, lost at sea. And then, and then when you would think it couldn't get any worse, all of a sudden there, they're not rescued by an American rescue party. They end up colliding with the Japanese forces. And then he would spend the next two years in a Japanese prison camp. And if you know much about World War II history, you'll know this, that American GIs, if they had to pick between being in a Nazi prison camp and in a Japanese prison camp, everything that I've ever read and studied in history has told me, and, and this is saying something because the Nazis are pretty bad characters, that they would have picked a German prison camp over one of these Japanese prison camps. And you know the history. You know some of these death marches. And, and he ends up spending two years in captivity. And when you read the book, you know, she unpacks for us the hellish-type atmosphere that he endures, the torture and the beatings and, 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 and this sub-life existence that he attempts to go through. Now, what is so striking, though, if you see the movie, is the movie, well, shows us enough, but compared to the book, doesn't show us nearly what he went through. But what I'm struck by is something they'd say in the movie. In the movie, you get the impression that, that, that what gets Louie through it is this saying that his brother said to him when they were children. And here it is. Louie, if you can take it, you can make it. If you can take it, you can make it. Now, what I want to say to you this morning is that may sound like a reasonable philosophy of life. And in some ways, I won't dispute it. You take it, you can make it. I could hear a football coach saying that. If you can take it, you can make it. I could hear a lot of people giving that kind of advice. But I want to say at the outset of this sermon today that ultimately in life, ultimately in life, what James wants us to understand 
is it's not just a, if you take it, you can make it philosophy that helps you through the trials of life. We have to understand something here. We need to understand that in the basis of the book of James, James starts off this letter by reminding us that he is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ and the amazing grace of Christ is what has changed the life of James. And ultimately, in my life and in your life, if we want to be able to take it, if we want to be able to make it, we're going to ultimately have to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and understand that it is in Christ that we find our ultimate strength. And one of the things that I would dispute in the movie and one of the reasons I got interested in this book and I even went and decided to go see the movie is, is I was first introduced to Louie while I was exercising at the YMCA. And it was back in July and that's when he died. And on Fox News, they told a story about Louie. And they told about how, uh, what Louie had gone through and how Louie's life had been changed after World War II and how Louie had come to faith in Christ. But then later that day, on a different news channel, when they talked about Louie, and of course they acknowledged and were celebrating his life, and, and he certainly is a hero, there was no mention of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it got me curious. So I decided to buy the book for myself and to read through it. And I want you to know this before I say another word. If you want to know how to triumph over trials, Understand this, everything that I'm going to share with you today that are practical principles of how you can triumph over trials must be founded in the fact that it is because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because everything I'm going to share with you is not just a matter of you having in in and of yourself the strength to take it and make it. It's understanding that we have a Lord We have a Savior who is sovereign even in the midst of our trials. Even when the phone rings and we don't know it's going to ring, and even when we're told something over that phone that can distress us and discourage us and depress us and and hurt us, understand this. The Lord Jesus Christ is already, already on the job. Amen? You can have a secure faith in him. And so I want you to never, ever forget that. That's the only way I would have the nerve to stand before you today and to tell you that you can count it all joy, my brothers. You see, the whole reason we can count it all joy is because we're brothers. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. It's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus that I can have joy. It's because of Jesus that I have hope. It's because of Jesus that I have peace no matter what trials may come. So let me give you some facts about trials that are straight from the Scripture. Look with me at verse 2 again. The Bible says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Well, here's some facts. Number one, I want you to know that trials are inevitable. Trials are inevitable. That means that they are unavoidable. The Bible here says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. It doesn't say if you meet trials of various kinds, does it? It says when you meet them. You see, the Bible is very honest here with us and tells us that we will have trials. 
In fact, Jesus says in John 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's John 16, 33. That's Jesus speaking to us. Paul in Acts 14, 22 says that we will go through some tribulations. Peter in 1 Peter 4, 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You see, sometimes when we go through trials or tribulation, we think it's strange. We think, we think, you know, it shouldn't be happening to us. Understand this. A fact about trials are that trials are inevitable in this life. You see, part of it is because we're human. Some trials, some trials are because we're human. We get sick. We have accidents. There are disappointments. And sometimes, yes, there are even tragedies. And then sometimes we have trials because we're Christians. Sometimes people will be persecuted for their faith. Satan will oppose you. The world will contradict you. So understand that trials are inevitable. Trials are unavoidable in this life. I think about how uh, it's often been said that this life is difficult. This life is hard. Trials are inevitable. The Bible says here, count it all joy, my brothers, when... You meet trials of various kinds. But, but notice this. The Bible says when you meet trials or when you fall into trials. See, not only are trials inevitable, but trials are unpredictable. Trials are unpredictable. This word here used in the New Testament where it says you will meet trials or fall into trials, it's the same word that's used in the parable of the Good Samaritan when we're told that the good Samaritan fell in among thieves or he met up with thieves. You see, here's the deal about trials. You don't always know when they're going to happen. We don't always know when these problems are going to occur. They happen unexpectedly. I don't plan to have a flat tire. I can remember one afternoon... Uh, uh, driving from work to go pick up my uh, little girl. She was over at the babysitter's. And I was going to pick her up. And I didn't really notice anything was going on, but all of a sudden someone beeped their horn and they said, they motioned to my back left tire on the minivan. And sure enough, it was losing air. And so I pull in to Miss Tammy's driveway where I was going to pick up Jenna. And for about the next hour... I was trying to figure out, number one, where the spare tire was, how I was going to jack it up, and I was going to have to get that tire changed. And so sure enough, after about an hour, I'd gotten that little teeny tire that they give you, put on there, and I had to go get the tire replaced and fixed and all that. You know how it goes. But when I started that day, in fact, even when I started to drive over to her house, I did not have on my agenda have a flat tire. It doesn't work that way, does it? Of course not. They happen unexpectedly. I can, think about, I can think about the other year I was headed to Peru. Ben Karnatz, a good friend of mine, we were on the plane. We were flying down to Peru to meet up with a mission team. We're going to be working with a lot of teenagers, and I was going to be the kind of the guest preacher that week for them as they were going to be doing mission work. 
and uh, we're flying from Virginia, and we go through our connections, and we're headed down to South America. And by the time we get down there, it is uh, late at night. It's about midnight. We're picked up in a, in a van. A few other folks meet us, and they're on the van with us, and we begin to make our trek up the mountains. And if you know anything about that mountain chain in South America, some of the highest mountains in the world. And, uh, and basically what had happened is they had sent a maniac to drive us up those mountains, all right? I don't know how else to say it, but I, don't, I know this. I don't, know how, I don't even think you've got to get a driver's license in Peru. Um, but just imagine, if you will, the craziest taxi cab driver in your life, all right? And so he's driving up the mountain. And, of course, I took three years of Spanish, but didn't do me a whole lot of good. I wish, you know, that's one of the things I always love about Pastor Jeff. Again, that guy could talk Spanish, uh, you know, j- just, just like he moved up here from Mexico. He was just amazing at it. But I don't remember much Spanish. You know, I know, like, you know, uh, mucho gracias, adios. But these two guys are up there. They're just talking Spanish back and forth. They're having a big time. And, uh, and they're just evidently trying to set the world's record for how fast they can get me from the airport up to the top of these mountains. And, of course, we're, we're bouncing around in the van, and I'm sitting in the back of the van, and you kind of see where this story's going? And, uh, and, and about, you know, a few hours later, we're sitting there, and, and my friend Ben, he looks over at me and says, you feeling all right? And I'm just, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. You know how it is when you're beginning to get that feeling right here? And people start wanting to interrogate you or interview you and ask you questions. And, I'm, and you just don't want to talk. You just want to crawl in a hole somewhere, you know. Right then, I wanted my mama to be with me <laughs> with a cold wash rag rubbing my head. That's what I wanted. Can I get a witness? You know, I just wanted mama there going, it's going to be okay, baby. It's going to be okay. But she was a long way away, all right. And instead, Ben is sitting there asking me questions. And I'm just sitting there thinking, you know, what do I do? I mean, we're cruising up this mountain, up this mountainside. And, everybody, and there's other people sitting with me that I didn't know from Adam, this and that. And we're sitting there. And all of a sudden, I hadn't planned for this. Problems and trials are unpredictable. You see, earlier that evening when I was on that Delta flight and I was eating all that airplane food, I was not thinking about what was going to happen as I was going up that mountain. But needless to say, it didn't totally bring a smile to my face because I guess that would be unchristian. But the next day when I did see that maniac of a driver out there having to wash the outside of his van because of what had happened on the way up that mountain, I'm just saying it was, it was unpredictable. I didn't plan for that to happen. I don't usually get car sick. Trials come upon us. And also what I want you to know is trials are multiple. Look at the verse here. There's a lot in just this verse. It says here, for instance, when you meet trials, the Bible says of various kinds, of multiple kinds. In fact, in the Greek language, it's the idea of multicolored. And what that made me think of is when you go to Lowe's or Home Depot and you go to to pick out paint colors and your wife tells you, sir, she says, how about just get white? Do you know what that is like to go just get white paint nowadays? And when you go to Home Depot up the street, or I'll just pick on them, you go to Home Depot and your wife says, just get some white paint. You go into Home Depot this afternoon and you mark my words, you'll go in there, it'll be about 252 different kinds of white paint, all right? And I never realized how different white paint can be. But it's the idea here that there are so many different types of trials that you can encounter in life. You can't even imagine them. They just happen. And, but I want you to see something in this verse. 
It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. But then look at verse 3. For you know, you know that the testing of your faith, and here's the good news, produces steadfastness. Somebody say amen. Because I know in this room right now, there are trials and problems represented. And I want you to underline or mark in your Bible, write down on a piece of paper, put it on an index card, hang it on your bathroom mirror, that the Bible says that the testing of your faith, listen to this, produces steadfastness. Steadfastness. I want you to know that trials are purposeful. They're purposeful. I know they're inevitable, unavoidable, they're unpredictable, they're multiple, but I want you to know this morning they're purposeful. There's a reason of how God can even use your trials. And here's, here's, here's a few reasons. Just write these down. Trials purify faith. They purify faith. The word here is testing. It's the idea of what gold and silver go through. You've maybe heard this analogy. They go through the refiner's fire. There's a testing. There's a purifying. It's also the idea of how, how a young bird, when she's getting ready to fly out on her own, she has to test out her wings. She tests out her wings. It's the same word used here in the Scripture. You see, what trials do is they test our faith. They purify our faith. You see, when my kids take a test at school, these tests do two things. They test what they know And they also test what they don't know. And you see, what trials do is trials test how mature we are, and they also test how immature we are. So you see, we need to understand that trials have a purpose. The intention is they're intended to purify our faith, to test and to toughen our faith. I read this, that Christians are like steel. When they're tested, they come out stronger, all right? I want you to remember that. Trials purify faith. Trials fortify endurance. They fortify endurance. The idea here, the Bible says, is produces steadfastness. That's also the word endurance. Some translations will say patience. But you need to understand, it's not just like passive patience. It's the idea of patience with power. I like the word endurance better. I think that's a better definition. It's like the idea of, of, of an athlete who goes through intense sports practices. It's, for instance, it's like my son when he's getting ready for his basketball games and his coach has him run those running drills and keep, keep practicing. It's like my daughter and some of the students I've met here uh, that they, they, they swim on these swim teams. And, and I think about, you know, there's a reason that her coaches, they, they, they want her practicing and then they want, they, they, they're, they're trying to build her endurance because they know that when you get into that race, You've got to have that endurance. Trials fortify us. It's the idea of staying power. It's the ability to stay with it under pressure. But we live in a society, don't we, that's focused on comfort, convenience. But the Lord is focused on our character. And that's why trials also, listen to this, sanctify character. The Bible says, let's, verse 4, let, let steadfastness, let endurance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. 
That's the idea of maturity, of, of a character. Trials set apart our character. They strengthen us. They can mature us. They can help us to grow. Remember what we said a few weeks ago if you were with us. God's goal is to make you and me more like Christ, to mature us in our faith. In the, in the Christian life, my character is God's bottom line, not my comfort. Now, that's, that's tough medicine, but that's God, our Father's agenda. It's to make you and me more like Christ, and he can use trials for his glory, you see, there's a couple ways, really, that the Bible tells us that God makes us like Jesus. One is through the Word of God. That's why in our church we spend so much time studying the Word of God. It's because the Word of God strengthens our faith, makes us more like Christ. But there's a second way the Bible tells us. In fact, the Bible shares a lot of these stories. It's through the circumstances of life. It's through life circumstances. Romans eight twenty eight. We know that all things work together for good. Not, it doesn't say not all things are good, but it says they work together for good if we love God and are called according to his purpose. But when you read Romans eight twenty eight, also read Romans eight twenty nine. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestine to become conformed to the image of the Son of God. You see, God takes our problems, he takes our trials, and he works them together for our own good, because we love him and he's predestined or he's, he's got this purpose in our lives. You know, I, I grew up in the Hampton Roads area, a lot of, lot of military down there. And, and uh, in Virginia Beach, we have Navy SEALs. Navy SEALs go through intense training. They go through intense trials. They, they have to go through so much to even become a SEAL. And part of that, of that training and that preparation and that testing is because the commanders know that they must have that character. They must have that endurance. They must have that strength. You see, our commander, the Lord Jesus Christ, he desires for us to have that character. Because you see, when we go through trials, when we go through problems, God's higher agenda of God getting the glory and people coming to know him and people looking to him is, is worked out through us because as people that know you, see you go through trials and see how you're different, it makes them want to know what's different about you. And it's an opportunity for us to point them to Jesus. Amen. So let me, let me wrap up by giving you just then, I think maybe four very practical applications. I want you to write these down because this is practically how you triumph, how you triumph. Number one, get this, focus on his purposes. The Bible says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You have to focus on his purposes. That's what we've been talking about. Number two, when you go through trials or trials come upon you, sometimes we can struggle focusing on his purposes. That's why I'm going to give you number two. Ask, ask for his wisdom. 
Verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, if you don't understand his purposes, ask God, the Bible says. By the way, there are like nine different Old Testament words, five different New Testament words for pray. And when I first read this, I'm thinking, well, what I need to do is pray. But I want you to understand, the Bible here, the Holy Spirit doesn't tell James to use the word pray. He just says, James, write down the word ask. You see, I want you to see just how practical and down to earth our wonderful God is. Now, you could expect me as a preacher to want to dress this up real fancy. But you know, when you're going through trials, when I'm going through problems, I need God, my Father, to just be real down to earth with me. And I find it really encouraging that right here in the Bible, the Bible says, just ask. Just ask God. Because, you know, I think sometimes when we think about pray, we, we think we've got to have all the right words. We think we've got to have all the right this or that. But just understand this. When you're going through something, just ask God. Just, just, just talk to him. Just ask God. I know you might be in a hospital and you, and you have a hard time sometimes maybe communicating with a doctor. They just know so much. They're just so smart and so bright and work so hard. I want you to know you can just ask God. You don't have to use fancy words, ma'am. Sir, you, you just, just ask him. Just ask him for wisdom. I want you to know God is good. The Bible says, ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. God is so good. God is so generous. God is so gracious. Just, just ask him. Ask him. Ask him with faith. Ask him with faith. Don't doubt him. Just ask him. Ask him in faith. Verse 9 says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his, humili- in his humiliation. Why, why is that stuck in here? Because you know what oftentimes happens, I think, is, is when we're not going through problems and trials, we, we think we kind of got life under control, don't we? When problems and trials happen, here's what they do. They push us to look beyond our own resources. And that brings me to number three, rely on his resources. Focus on his purposes, ask for his wisdom, and rely on his resources. Trials have an amazing effect. They level us. You see, it doesn't really matter really when you get down to it, when a doctor comes in and gives you some news, it doesn't really matter how much money you got in the bank, does it? I've been in a lot of hospitals as a pastor and visited a lot of people. I can tell you, sometimes I'll kind of know, well, that person's probably got more money than he's got. But when it really comes down to it, cancer doesn't discriminate, does it? I have to look beyond myself, beyond my own resources. Trials can teach us to rely on his resources. And then finally, verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which is his reward. Live for his reward. Number four, live for his reward. The Bible talks about a crown of life. This isn't like Queen Elizabeth's crown, all right? This is like a crown, a wreath that would be given to a a champion athlete. It's like next Sunday... Um, one of the teams, I guess the Patriots are going to let them play. I mean, it's like one of these teams is going to get Super Bowl trophy, right? 
and the players will get a ring or something. Or like an Olympic gold medalist, they get a gold medal. It's the idea that you ran your race. Understand that the Bible says, remember what your ultimate reward is. It says it's a crown of life. What life are you talking about? I'm talking about eternal life. This is not it. I don't know if that's comforting or not. It, it really should be. It really should be. Just remember, you're pilgrims. You're, you're not home yet. I know that Colonial Heights, Chester, Central Virginia, Prince George, these are, pre- these are pretty comfortable places to live, aren't they? But friend, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. Live for his reward. You, as a person of faith in Christ, you, you live for his reward. You know, the movie just kind of ends with Louis coming back home and just seems to kind of give this little ending like he served God. She missed it. Bless Angelina's heart. She missed how to end the movie. She just did. I don't want to ruin this for anybody. I really don't. But but what's amazing in the book, and it's towards the very, very end, you just got to understand something about Louis. He took it, but he won't go make it. <laughs> he comes back home. Today we call it P- uh, PTSD or something like that. Um, he just became a horrible alcoholic got married, his poor sweet wife, he just, he would have these horrible fits and these nightmares, and you can understand why. Young man, young preacher named Billy Graham was preaching a crusade in Los Angeles. His wife said, let's go. He went like a lot of husbands will do. He went just to try to keep her happy. And there he heard Billy Graham preach the gospel. First night he went, just irritated him, made him mad. (laughs) He left angry. The next night, She got him to go back. He went once again just to get her off his back. But that night as Billy Graham preached the gospel, Billy Graham just had the words from God as he preached about how we can find ourselves drowning in our problems, in our trials. Louis tried to run, but God had got a hold of him. And Louis, Louis heard Graham's invitation of putting his faith in God, putting his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Louis was born again, became a new creation. And Louis goes on to say how for the first night in a long time, that night, he had the best sleep he'd had in years. The nightmares were gone. He got up the next morning. He dug out the Bible they gave him when he went into the Army Air Corps. And he opened that Bible. And he began to read it now with new eyes. And Laura Hillenbrand simply closes the chapter saying, And he wept. And he wept. Loved ones, I simply want you to know that trials do happen in this life. Problems happen. Sometimes horrible things happen. 
And I don't want to be trite, but I simply want to tell you the truth. And the fact is, we must, we must look to Jesus. We must look to Jesus. We must look to Jesus. So this morning, as we get ready to sing this song, I want to invite you. Perhaps you're burdened by something. I want to give you an opportunity right where you are. Maybe you want to come here and kneel. You just need to ask God for wisdom. Maybe you just need to cry out to God and say, God, I'm going to trust you. We're going to trust you. We're going to rely on your resources. And perhaps as you sing this hymn, you just simply want to say, Lord, I'm going to recommit to living for your reward. Loved ones, loved ones, trials. Trials are part of this life. May we encourage one another to have a faith that endures in the Lord Jesus. Stand your feet and bow your heads with me in prayer if you would. Father, thank you. Thank you for ministering to us. Lord, serious subject today you've given us to consider. And God, I pray if in this room there's anyone who's not ever put their faith in you, Lord Jesus, they'll feel free to just come forward during this song, and I'd love to be able to talk with them and pray with them and and, and really personally introduce them to you, Lord Jesus. And God, I pray across this room, there's someone who's, who's had a tough meeting this week with a doctor, had some tough news financially, whatever trials might be coming. Maybe it's they're worried about a loved one. Lord, they'll just come to you and they'll just ask you for wisdom. They'll just rely on you in a fresh new way. And they'll understand, God, your promise here that you will indeed, indeed strengthen their faith as they look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You come as we sing. Brother Andy, lead us.